Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Father, occasionally life is good. Things are going well. It's easy to be joyful. There is much to be thankful for. Life uh, is at peace and we feel a sense of rest. And occasionally life is excruciating. Occasionally life is overwhelmingly difficult and we don't know where to turn or or what to do and and we can only uh, throw ourselves on you and on your mercy. And the rest of the time, Lord, life is somewhere in between. We are, we are mixed, our, our days are mixed with joy and sorrow, with, with rest and, and turmoil. And so we, we need a song like this. We need to remind ourselves of these truths, that Christ is our hope in life and death. When, when life is good and when we are standing in a broad place, Christ is our hope in life and death. When life is falling apart and we don't know if we'll live to see another day, Christ is our hope in life and death. And in between, when we are struggling to make ends meet and when we're trying to get through each day and to love our family and to faithfully perform our, our work and, and to pay our bills and, and to take care of all of the other cares of life, Christ is our hope in life and death. And so I pray that you would help us to look to him together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, normally this is the part of the service where I would tell you to be seated, but I'm looking around and and there's a bunch of empty chairs. Uh, This is not our first preference. Uh, We we don't like to not be with you on a Sunday morning, but thank you for being flexible. Thank you for tuning in to the live stream this morning, and and we are all longing for the day when when we can put this virus behind us and when we can return to normal worship services. But this is where we are today, and so let's let's rejoice and trust the Lord in it. It's it's common to to compare joy and happiness. Uh, I've heard it done many times. People say joy is that deep abiding sense that, that, that isn't dependent on circumstances, whereas happiness comes and goes, um, and it's more momentary. And I think there's some truth behind that, that concept, but, but I don't think comparing joy and happiness, uh, putting them against each other, I don't think that's a helpful comparison. Because, uh, first of all, in Scripture, uh, they're never compared to each other. Scripture uses joy and happiness and pleasure and satisfaction and, and a few other terms interchangeably. They're, they're essentially synonyms. And even if you, if you look at most dictionaries, they'll define joy with happiness or they'll define happiness with joy. And so these words are, are interchangeable, and, and I think it can be confusing to, to say joy and happiness are, are not the same thing. 
we, all, we all seek joy and we all desire to be happy and, and it's a good thing to be happy. Um, and so, so it, it can be confusing to compare the two. What, what I think is, is more helpful and, and what the Bible is more concerned with is real and lasting joy or happiness or pleasure or satisfaction. So real joy versus counterfeit joy. Uh, I like to call counterfeit joy sweet and low joy. So my, my grandfather was a diabetic and, and so my grandma was, was very concerned with his sugar intake. And so she was, she was always giving him sweet and low to use uh, as a sweetener. And, and he, he used it quite a bit. Um, but when grandma wasn't around, grandpa was sneaking the real thing. He, he, was, he was using real sugar and he was eating real candy, not the stuff with the sweet and low because he knew that the real thing was better. And I, I can remember as a, as a child when my grandparents would come visit, uh, he would put sweet and low on, on his cornflakes for breakfast. And so I, I tried it as well. I sprinkled some sweet and low on my cereal. And, and there is a, there's a hint of sweetness in sweet and low, but ultimately it's, it's bitter and disappointing. When you compare it to the real thing, it's just not even close. And that's, I think that's the difference between real joy and that counterfeit joy. Every human being desires joy or happiness. We're all looking for it. We all want to be happy. But many of us have only experienced the counterfeit. And, and because of that, they're not satisfied. They know that something is missing, and so they look for it in a million places. They're wanting that happiness. They're not finding real, lasting happiness, and so they keep looking. So what does it mean to have true joy and real happiness or satisfaction or pleasure? The series that we began last week is we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we're looking at these fruits, these character traits, in the life of Jesus. And so today we're looking at joy. And we see the reason that we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit in the life of Jesus is because Jesus is the perfect model of these fruits. They, they are fully realized in Jesus. So if you want to see real joy, the authentic thing, you need to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was joyful. And so today we're going to look at the story of Jesus when he fed the 5,000. And we're going to see that Jesus is the perfect example of joy and that he offers us true and lasting joy and happiness in and through him. So if you have your Bibles at home, open them to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. 
When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, and he had when he went ashore he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children." This is a familiar story. We've heard the feeding of the 5,000 before. The first thing we see is that Jesus is a fountain of joy that never stops flowing. Look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. If you look back a few paragraphs in Matthew, the end of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 14, two events have just taken place. At the end of 13, uh, Jesus was in Nazareth, his hometown, and he had been rejected by his hometown. His own family and friends had rejected his ministry, and he he was forced to leave Nazareth because they just wanted no part with him. And then at the beginning of chapter 14, John the Baptist is beheaded. And so now in in verse 13, it says, now when Jesus heard this, and this is John the Baptist's death, he withdrew in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus is grieving. Jesus knows what has happened to John, and he knows that it's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to him. If John was beheaded for his preaching, Jesus is going to be crucified for his, and Jesus, of course, knows that. And so he's grieving, and because of that, he withdraws to a quiet place by himself. And in Mark 6, when, when we hear this account, we're told that he takes the disciples with them, and we see that the disciples are with him later in, in the passage. And so Jesus is he's seeking to get away with just his closest friends for a spiritual retreat. But that is not how it goes. Look at the end of verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, They followed him on foot from the towns. So the crowds hear that Jesus has gone away to this quiet place, and they rush to him. They want to be by him. They want more of Jesus. Jesus deserves a break. He desires a break. He has planned for a break, and he doesn't get one. So how would we expect him to react? This reminded me of uh, the old uh, comedy, the, the movie, What About Bob? You remember that movie? So Bob is uh, played by Bill Murray, and uh, he's, a, he's a neurotic, high-maintenance, psychiatric patient. 
Um, and his psychiatrist is Dr. Leo Marvin, who's played by Richard Dreyfus. And the premise of the movie is that uh, Dr. Marvin is the psychiatrist, and, and Bob goes to him for, for treatment. Uh, and then Dr. Marvin goes away on vacation. So he's got a family lake home, and he goes, goes on vacation. And Bob goes after him. He, he figures out where Dr. Marvin is having his vacation, and he uh, rents the cabin right next door and, and crashes Dr. Marvin's vacation. And Dr. Marvin is furious, and eventually Bob drives him insane. So he just ruins his vacation, and Dr. Marvin is angry and goes crazy. And that's not what Jesus does. Verse 14, look at how Jesus responds to this interruption, to this change in his plan. When he went ashore and he saw, when, it, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus sees the crowd, and his first reaction is compassion. He loves the crowd, and he begins to immediately serve them. He meets their needs. He heals them. Instead of frustration or avoidance or self-pity, Jesus moves toward this needy, impetuous crowd with compassion, and he meets their needs. I think it's easy to think of Jesus as, as frustrated and, and overwrought as he does his ministry. I'll do it, but I'm tired and, and haggard. You people are driving me nuts. We do that because that's how we respond. That's how, that's how so often we parent. That's how we, we behave at work. That's how we treat our spouse or our family. I'll serve you, but I hope you see how tired and frazzled this all makes me. I can, I can point to multiple times in the past week where that's how I have responded. Some, some change of plans or, or some inconvenience steps into my life and I just, oh, I just get frustrated and, and frazzled. And so I think we project that on Jesus and we assume that's, that must be how Jesus feels toward us in our needs. But we just don't get that from the accounts of Jesus in Scripture. That's not how he responds. There are times when Jesus expresses righteous anger or, or even dismay over unbelief or, or disobedience, but in this passage and in other passages, there's no sign of Jesus acting frazzled or, or rolling his eyes at needy people. In fact, in verse 15, it's the disciples that seem to act that way. It's the disciples that seem to have had enough of the crowd. Verse 15, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. The picture that we have of Jesus is compassion and patience, which we're going to get to in, in two weeks. And, and frankly, we see joy in Jesus. He, he doesn't begrudgingly care for the people. It's his delight to do so. So how can, how can that be? 
How, how can Jesus be so joyful? Where does Jesus get this joy? How is he able to serve when the rest of us would give up or become angry? The answer is that Jesus has joy in and of himself. Jesus is his own source of joy. He is a fountain of joy, and he never runs dry. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And look at this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus has joy in and of himself. The picture that Hebrews 12 verse 2 paints is that you have Jesus, that's, Jesus is running a race, right? So, so Jesus is running a race, and the finish line is joy. At the end of the race, there's joy for Jesus. But in between now and the finish line, there's an obstacle, and that obstacle is the cross and suffering and agony, and, and Jesus is, is not, uh, he's not dismayed, he's not afraid, he's not going to turn back because of that obstacle. He knows that there's joy for him on the other side, and so he despises the shame of the cross. It's nothing to him. It's not even worth talking about. He's going for that finish line of true joy. And so what is the joy that is set before Jesus? What is in store for Jesus after the cross? We know that Jesus, where is Jesus right now? Jesus is at the Father's right hand. And so there is joy for Jesus in his relationship with God the Father. That, that, is, the, that is deeply satisfying to Jesus, to be with his Father. But that's not the only joy for Jesus, right? For all of eternity, Jesus has been in the Father's presence. And so he didn't need to come down to earth to become happy. He already was happy. And so what joy is added into Jesus's life because of his earthly ministry? The joy that is coming, that was coming for Jesus in this time during his earthly ministry was that he was going to be reunited with his father, at, at his father's right hand, but that he was going to bring with him his redeemed people. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Jesus came to earth to redeem, to save, to purchase you and me from our sin and to bring us with him into the father's joy. The whole point of Jesus' earthly ministry is to act as a mediator between God and man. And so his great joy will be to be in heaven with both, to be in heaven with the Father and his people reconciled to each other. 
That's the Father's joy also, and that's going to become our joy. What is it that that Jesus says we will hear at the end of our life if we have trusted in him? We'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We will get to be with Jesus in his joy, right? And so Jesus has joy in himself. Jesus is joyful. Jesus is the source of all joy. He's a fountain of joy that never runs out. As the creator and redeemer, Jesus has storehouses of joy. He is abundantly happy in himself and in his works. He is satisfied with himself and he is satisfied with what he is doing. Nothing can hinder Jesus' plans, and so nothing can hinder Jesus' joy. All is well with Jesus all the time. And so when needy people come to him, it doesn't frustrate him, it doesn't rob him of joy. He's, He's there to serve, and so he's happy to serve. He has enough to give to people at all times. So Jesus is the true source of joy. Jesus is happy in himself. And that brings us to the next point. Jesus calls us to serve in the strength or joy that he provides. We see that in verses 15 through 20. So the disciples come to Jesus and they they say, Jesus, the day is over. These people are hungry. Send them away so that they can get food, right? It's evening. These uninvited people, you've been pouring yourself out all day for them. You've certainly done enough for them, Jesus. So tell them to go home and get their own dinner. And Jesus responds in verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They don't need to go away. Again, we see Jesus's abundant love his abundant generosity, his joy overflowing. You can see Jesus saying, these people have not been a burden to me. I delight in them coming to me with their needs. This is how it's supposed to be. They don't need to go away. And then he tells his disciples, you give them something to eat. He calls the disciples to serve to meet the need of the crowd. As Christ's disciples, we are called to follow his example in serving. When we see a need, our first impulse should be to meet that need. Our first impulse shouldn't be, okay, can someone else take care of this? Or I'm just too, I'm too tired. There's too much on my plate. When we see a need, our first impulse should be, can I help? And the disciples... Their response, verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. We can't feed them all, Jesus. Jesus asks them to do something that they cannot do. Why would Jesus ask them to do that? Why would he ask them to do something they cannot do? He's doing it to awaken them. He's doing it to confront them with their need for him. You feed them, he says. We can't. We don't have enough. 
And then he says, bring what you have to me. That's the point. Jesus asks them to feed the crowd. They tell him, we don't have enough food. Verse 18, he said, bring them here to me. Bring the loaves and the fish to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So Jesus asks them to feed the crowd. They tell him, we don't have enough food. He takes what they have, he blesses it, and he gives it back to them, and it becomes enough. When, when Jesus blesses our insufficiency, it becomes sufficiency. The disciples only had five loaves and two fish, which was not nearly enough to feed more than 5,000 people. But Jesus takes what little they have, Jesus blesses it, and it becomes more than enough for what they need. May God be gracious to us at Oak Hill to break us of the notion that he is only calling us to do small things for others and for his glory. May God break us of the idea that he's only going to call us to do comfortable things. May it be that he would expand our hearts to do things that just don't make sense. As, as individuals, as families, as a church, May he be gracious to give us courage to serve when it just doesn't make sense, to serve when it looks like we can't possibly make a dent. And then as he blesses what we do, he will receive glory. So we see that, that Jesus is the fountain of joy that never runs dry, and that Jesus tells us to serve in the strength or in the joy that he provides. And then at the, end, at the end of verse 20, we see that as we serve, Jesus fills us up with his joy. Look at verse 20. So the, the disciples pass out the five loaves and two fish, and the whole crowd ate and was satisfied. In verse 21, we see those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So easily over 10,000 people fed with five loaves and two fish. So Jesus makes it more than enough. But that's not all he does, okay? So, so we see Jesus is happy, and we're supposed to serve in the strength and joy that he provides. But where do I find happiness? Where do I find joy? How can I be personally joyful? As we take other people to Jesus, the source of true and lasting joy, the one who can feed and satisfy them, Jesus fills us up with his joy. As we serve, Jesus fills us up with joy. Look at verse 20. It says, They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. You know that there were 12 disciples, right? The disciples were just as needy as the rest of the crowd. They didn't even have enough to feed themselves, right? They had five small loaves and two fish. They couldn't even feed themselves, let alone the crowds. But when they are done serving on Jesus' behalf, 
Each disciple has more than enough for himself. They start with five loaves and two fish, and they end up with 12 full baskets. They start empty, and they end up full after they have served thousands of others. We don't wait for joy and happiness, then go serve and love people. We step into what God has called us to, and we trust him to supply the joy as we go. I find personally in, in my own heart, and I see in, the other, in, I see in other people, the pursuit of joy or pleasure or happiness as an end in itself. So we consciously seek to do things that make us feel good. Right? We want, to, we want to do things that we think will make us happy. And this is the root of so many addictions. But it's also the root of so much of the aimless drifting that's just so prevalent in our time. So, so think of the, the big uh, flashing neon light sins, right? Like addiction to pornography, drunkenness, cheating on your spouse, right? These big, uh, these big sins that everyone agrees on. We do all of those things because we think that in the moment, it will feel good. But the little sins, the little hidden sins that, that are acceptable to other people, we do those for the same reason, right? Why do we endlessly surf our phones and TVs? Why do we constantly buy the latest electronic gadget or vehicle or clothes? Why are we obsessed with updating our homes? We do it for the same reason, because we think it'll make us feel better. And again, it's the counterfeit joy versus the real joy. C.S. Lewis says in uh, his book, The Screwtape Letters, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. I spent most of my life doing things that I shouldn't have done and frankly, things that I didn't even like doing. I think that's so true of so much of the aimlessness of our culture. We spend time surfing and drifting, and we know we're not supposed to be doing it. We know it doesn't satisfy us, but we just do it anyway. The source of our joy must ultimately be Jesus and his fullness, or it's going to inevitably run dry. Our ministry, our evangelism, our service to others, our love for our family must, in the end, be an overflow of our joy in Jesus, or it simply won't last and it can't be sustained. So let me, let me close with, with this. True joy, true happiness, lasting delight and pleasure and satisfaction only comes when we commune with Jesus when we rest in his care for us, when we lay aside the sin that hinders us, when we lead others to find their joy in him, when we just seek to be happy, we end up miserable. When we just seek to know Jesus, 
we end up with overflowing joy. Let's pray. Father, you created us to be happy. You created us to pursue joy. We were created for pleasure and satisfaction. We were created to be joyful people. But we can only find joy. We can only find happiness in the fountain of living water, in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the fountain of pure joy. Jesus had overflowing joy that never ran dry. And only when we go to him will we find that lasting joy. And so, Lord, would you help us to run to Jesus and Jesus only? And would you help us to lead others to the fountain of joy? And as we lead people to Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would increase our own joy. In his name we pray. Amen.